1: Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. And joining us on this episode is Joe Hart, co author of the new book, Take Command Find Your Inner Strength build enduring relationships, and live the life you want. Joe is the CEO of Dale Carnegie & Associates, which is, of course, the game-changing
0: self-development organization founded by the author of the timeless bestseller, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And Joe's co-author is Michael Crom, who is the grandson of Dale Carnegie. Joe, we thank you so much for joining us and wonder how this book came about.
2: Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I really uh, enjoy your show and honored to be with you today. You know, it was something that happened really in the midst of the pandemic. Um, You know, I mean, we all went through just this this very challenging time. And and I reached out to Michael and just said, you know, there's are so many people right now, and, and myself included, who were struggling with just all the emotional challenges around what was happening. And, and we've, I, we talked about and thought about Dale Carnegie principles and said, you know, a lot of people who are maybe older know about Dale Carnegie, but people who are younger don't necessarily. So we had the idea of writing a book. Um, really built on Dale Carnegie principles, but for uh, today's audience, um, written for people who are um, with stories that are, are uh, contemporary stories, people all over the world, a lot of diverse stories and so forth, but building on the, the brilliance and the wisdom in Dale Carnegie's classic books, How to Win Friends and Influence People, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, and also our Dale Carnegie Programme.
1: There's a story in the book about how leading a company in 9-11 gave you the confidence to lead your team during the COVID pandemic. And I'm wondering if you could share that, because I thought it was really encouraging and and made me feel like, you know what, more can come of the pandemic in the future than I even thought, because I guess we all gained some sort of perspective from it that that maybe we're not thinking about right now.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. We have these experiences sometimes, and we, we think about them as isolated things, and it's only later that we really connect the dots. And, you know, as I was leading Dale Carnegie in the early days of the pandemic, and I I joined Dale Carnegie as the CEO in 2015, Um, I came to Dale Carnegie because this is an organization that had a huge impact on my life very early in my career. I really have been committed to, you know, kind of getting Dale Carnegie to more people all over the world. And, you know, here we are, it's January, 2020, um, Mm -hmm. we're talking to our teams in China, we're hearing about what's happening, and all of a sudden, they're, they're telling us, you know we're going to be closing down i mean at that time in our our business 95% of what we did was in person classroom so if you are in lockdown there are no classes <laughs> there's no business for our franchisees around the world or for us as a franchisors it was it was it was daunting uh, in those early days but then as it started to spread and, and uh, countries around the world began to go into lockdown it was terrifying for me as the the leader of this organization you know how are we gonna how are we gonna work through this? And you know I had this kind of um, defining moment, and it was in March 2020, and I talk about this in Chapter One of the book, where um, I I was just waking up in the middle of the night and just in a very dark place, just negative thoughts, thinking about just all the the things that could go wrong and all the challenges around the pandemic and so forth. And all of a sudden, it kind of hit me as I was looking at Dale Carnegie's book, "How to Stop Worrying and Start Living," and and he really talked about our thoughts and the power of our thoughts and two people can be in the exact same situation. And uh, in one person is happy and one person's miserable. One person is courageous and another person's cowardly. So it got me thinking about my thoughts and, and part of in the days that followed that I really started to, to reshape the way I was looking at the pandemic and saying, you know, if this is an unprecedented crisis, where is the, the opportunity from a business standpoint? We, we completely retooled our entire business, But part of what happened for me, and we talk about kind of confidence and self confidence, was, you know, I looked back at an experience that I had, which was leading a startup company I started in 2000. um, 2001, 9 11 happened. It was traumatic for our country and for the world. And it it impacted our business. I I thought our business was going to close. We were perilously close to that. And somehow, by God's grace, and through our team and, and everything else, we, we made it through that. So so when we were in the midst of COVID, and all of our territories were, were shutting down the, around the world, I thought to myself, there was this great quote that kind of had popped in my head. And it was, um, I, I think it was attributed, I don't know whether she actually said this or not to Joan of Arc, which was, you know, I'm not afraid I was born to do this. And I kept thinking, I'm not afraid. I was born to do this. I, I led a company through 9/11, and and we 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 made it when I mean, it, we probably otherwise shouldn't have. And you know, I I was the president of a company uh, during the 08 09 crisis, and and we, we got through that. And um, so so the experiences that I had led to this COVID, you know, leadership situation where I said, you know, I've got to lead courageously. I can do this. And I remember telling people, we're going to make it through this. Um, we're going to do whatever it takes. And I was committed to do whatever it, it takes. But I think looking back on past experiences is a really important way of building our confidence for the challenges that we face right now or that we might be facing into the future.
0: And how is the Dale Carnegie company different now than it was before the pandemic.
2: Well, we were doing really well before the pandemic and then of course the pandemic took a toll on us but but thankfully we are thriving and in, in in fact we're a better positioned today than we've ever maybe been. And I say that because we flipped our entire business model from in-person, face-to-face classes. We took a 1,000 people, 1,000 trainers, and certified them through a very rigorous training process in a short period of time so they could deliver effectively highly interactive programs live online. So today, you know, we have live on-the-line delivery. We've got in-person delivery. We've got hybrid types of things. We've got new technologies that we're building on so what, what an output of COVID is, it's really accelerated our digital transformation, something we had started, but now we're far more capable, we're far more competitive. We have been growing uh, very significantly and working with a range of different kinds of organizations. Um, some of the largest companies in the, in the world we'd worked with before, and there's even more now today, um, but also with, with smaller companies and companies that are really concerned about how do we you know, manage this remote work for us or hybrid work for us. I mean, these are things that we, we had um, been doing, but now it's even more important. How do we present online? How do we sell online? How do we connect with people? How do we build trust? All of these things that we had been teaching before uh, are even more important now. I want to talk about trust.
1: I thought what you wrote about about trust and how to build it and and how it's the foundation for all positive relationships was so great. And I think one of the things that I really took away was how you you kind of use the attorney client privilege when talking with friends and keeping their secrets confidential. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about that.
2: Sure. You one of the things that we talk about trust being the foundation of all relationships, as you said, and and it's so hard to gain trust and it's so easy to lose and we can lose it sometimes. And, and often it happens over just silly kinds of things. Um, sometimes we'll say something, you know, say, say, Laura, you and I are having a conversation, you know, and maybe you mentioned something to Jan and, and I did not want you to share that. All of a sudden, you know, I mean, you've got these dynamics that just aren't, aren't positive. Like, Can I trust Laura again? So, you know, my, my view has been I, I'm a trained attorney. I haven't Practiced actively a uh, law in a number of years, but one of the things they taught us in law school, and it's an ethical requirement, is that an attorney is bound to keep confidential things that their clients uh, tell them. And there are some exceptions to that, but but by and large, the approach I've taken is if I'm having a conversation, say, Laura, you and I are talking, and 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 you know you you're telling me something that's very important. I might even say to you, Laura, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna treat this like like I'm an attorney and and you're the client and I'm not gonna tell anyone. And I don't, I don't tell anyone anything. And so in preserving that kind of um, information, it builds trust. And it certainly avoids one of the, the biggest ways that trust is undermined, which is where people will intentionally kind of hear something, say something and so forth. But um, it's, it's such a critical uh, part of what we need to do to build really enduring relationships.
0: And I know you feel that one of the greatest life challenges is to be able to control our thoughts and emotions. Now how do we do that? How do we choose the right thoughts?
2: Yeah, one of the biggest challenges that we all face, right? Because we've got, you know, we, we've got our opinions, we've got our beliefs, and we, we assess things constantly in nanoseconds. And we've got kind of the way we think about them, our, our framework or our mindset. And then we've got kind of our emotional response to it. And so, you know, the first part of this book, and just to even back up, if I may, you know, this book is broken into three three parts. And it's really designed to be a manual to help people take command of their lives. You think about look, those take command of 2023. I have to start by taking command of my thoughts and my emotions. Um, I have to be able to to identify those, those negative thinking patterns and to stop them and reframe them or replace them with something else? And not just once, but how do I condition myself for success? So we, we use the analogy really of even, you know, working out. I mean, I, I trained for a marathon and in, in, that was one of the, the stories in chapter two. Uh, there's a process that you go through over and over and over and so forth, but do we have routines that we can rely upon that will help us build kind of build these positive mindsets but the first part of the book is really all about helping people understand you know how are you thinking how are you feeling how do you reframe thoughts and emotions how do you use these to your advantage using a negative thought as a as an early warning system or a, a negative emotion is gee what's this telling me and what do I need to do with this uh, how do we become courageous? How do we build resilience? So that's part one. Part two of the book is about how do we build strong relationships? How do we take command of our relationships, dealing with difficult people, setting boundaries, uh, addressing criticism? And how do I deliver criticism? But how do I build those strong relationships? And then the third part of the book is take command of your future. What's the future you want? One of the biggest regrets we know that people have said that they have on their deathbed is the things that they didn't do. They weren't courageous enough. They weren't bold enough. They didn't plan. All of a sudden their lives passed them by. We don't want anyone to be in that situation. So taking command of our lives starts with our thoughts and emotions, our relationships, and then our futures.
0: We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And if you're like us, your pet is a member of the family.
1: We've had 15 dogs over the years, most of them rescues. They've each been unique characters with their own likes and dislikes in terms of food. And lately, we've been feeding them Nom Nom, and it's a big hit with each of the three dogs we currently have. One of our dogs is young, one is middle-aged, and one is a senior, and they all get excited when we put Nom Nom in their bowls.
0: Nom Nom delivers fresh dog food with with every portion personalized to your dog's needs so you can bring out their best Every Nom Nom meal features high quality proteins and vegetables mixed with targeted vitamins and minerals to provide
1: the essential nutrients dogs need at every life stage. Nom Nom is made with real whole food you can see and recognize without any additives or fillers that contribute to bloating and low energy. Our dogs love Nom Nom and we love seeing how happy it makes them.
0: Nom Nom uses the latest science and insights to make real good food for dogs. Their nutrient-packed recipes are crafted by board-certified veterinary
1: nutritionists made fresh and shipped free to your door nom nom's already delivered over 40 million meals to good dogs like yours inspiring millions of clean bowls
0: and tail wags Plus, Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. So if your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order.
1: No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynomcom slash nobody. Spelled try, N-O-M, dot com slash nobody for 50% off trynom.com slash nobody. One of Dale's principles is to cooperate with the inevitable. And I'm wondering how we can put this into action in times of really unwelcome change.
2: It's, It's one of Dale's pieces of wisdom that I apply all the time, because often in the face of change, something happens. And, and I may not like it. Uh, it could be anything. Going back to the COVID example, it's like, you know, we were all going through things that we had very little control over. And then we can spend a lot of emotion resisting, being angry, being bitter, being resentful about all these things that are happening. Cooperate with the ine- inevitable, you know, it means that we start with a level of acceptance, that there are some things that are going to happen that we may or may not be able to control. And if we can't, you know, how do we how do we accept where we are and then build from there and improve from there? So it doesn't mean that we we just are passive and we do nothing. It simply says, look, um, these things are happening in the world. OK, I, I'm, I'm not going to change the fact that that there are lockdowns or that there's all these these things happening. Um, but in what ways can I. You know, uh, leverage this, or how do I? How do I make the most out of this? How do I turn this around? Dale Carnegie is one of the people who is known for the quote about uh, if you have life gives you eleven lemons, turn it into lemonade. And cooperating with the inevitable means there are certain things that are going to happen. Let's start with acceptance, and once we calm ourselves down emotionally, then we can put ourselves in that place of. All right. What can I do here? How do I make a difference? What's the what's the result that I want? How do I start to move constructively? By the way, that's part of what we did as an entire global business using that example before. It's like, okay, we're in the situation. We can't force our classrooms to be open. So what can we do? And we put all of our energy into constructive uh, solutions that, frankly, have been a game changer for us.
0: And you also, along those lines, write that fulfillment is usually found outside of our comfort zone, not tucked safely inside it. Why do you believe that's true?
2: It just seems that so much of the things that we want, uh, you know, there's a great quote. I'm not sure who said it, but that everything you want is on the other side of fear. So, um, you know, whatever that is, it could be a career, it could be a relationship, it can be um, you know, something you want to do uh, personally. Chances are probably pretty good that that's going to require to get that. It's going to require you to do something that maybe you don't want to do, or you don't think you can do, or it's uncomfortable and so forth. So you know, by by going for it and taking risks, and then being affirmed, you know, in terms of that, having the mindset that says, "Well, what can I learn from this?" I mean, that's that's exciting. It's part of what makes life vibrant, but in all likelihood, at least in my experience, I can't think of too much that I've done. You know, I think about going to law school. I think about early jobs. I think about leaving and starting a company. I think about moving my family from you know uh, Michigan to New York when I took on the job to become Dale Carnegie CEO. All these things involved risks and discomfort and so forth. On the other hand, it would have been easy just to say, "Well, you know, I don't want to do this, or I don't want to, you know, whatever it is." Um, but but you know what what's life all about? I think life is every single day offers new opportunities. And in order to seize those opportunities, you know we get, we got to start with ourselves and and having confidence and overcoming fears and and that's part of the reason we say that.
1: There are so many opportunities that we wish we had taken in our past. Even if going forward, we try not to have regrets. We all have them. And I love the regret framework that you and Michael came up with for the book. And I'm wondering if you could tell us about that, because I think it really is helpful for us getting over regrets.
2: Yeah, and everyone has regrets. I mean, sometimes they're very small. Sometimes they're bigger. Um, the, The framework involves basically two different things, you know, so um, you've done something or not done something. Um, so is it is it a big thing? Is it a major thing or is it not a major thing? I mean, think about the sc- scope of your life. You know, you might say, well, I made a comment to someone, and uh, I think I upset them. Okay? So I mean, maybe that's that's a minor thing but we can let that minor thing consume us if we don't put it in perspective. So the first part of the the framework is, and we think about this with an X, Y axis, right? So you think about kind of the X axis might be as something, a major thing or a minor thing. Then the other thing is, is it fixable or not? You know, so the Y axis, yes, the top it's fixable and and the bottom it's, it's not fixable. So we can look at different things that we experience, you know, kind of through that lens. In the book, you know, we talk about, um, different examples of regret. You know, Michael uh, Crom, my co-author, you know, was was really working very hard and building a career. Um, and at one point, when his mother became sick, I mean, he really didn't pay attention at first, and she was very sick, and she she ultimately died. He he had regret that he didn't do something earlier. Okay, so that and he was upset. He's like, "Why didn't I take this more seriously?" Um, I didn't, and maybe he was in denial, whatever the situation was. But instead of beating himself up, he said, look, this is a major situation, but it's fixable. And so, he th- you know, thankfully, he was able to spend time with her before she passed away. So when we think about the quadrant, if something is major and fixable, then what that tells us that regret can be something that serves us. It says, you know what, I better do something. It's fixable. So what action do I need to take? How do I take command of this? If something is uh, minor and fixable, like the example of, of the conversation, maybe I said something to someone. If it's minor and fixable, still, why wouldn't we take uh, action to fix it? So um, maybe, and, and frankly, and we talk about routine, one of the things I do every day is I think back about the prior day and what went well and what didn't go well. And what do I need to fix? And, and often I will say, gosh, I had this happen a couple weeks ago. Where I, I just didn't like the way I, I talked to somebody, and I called them the next day, and said I want to just apologize for you. So it was probably a minor, fixable thing, but um, it, it's something that we, to take action on. Now, where we get into trouble is sometimes where something is it's not fixable. If it's minor and not fixable, then you know we, we just need to have that conversation with ourselves and demonstrate kind of emotional, you know, resilience, so to speak, or emotional intelligence and so you know i'm i'm just not going to worry about this i'm not going to let this have power it's not it's not a big deal there's nothing i can do about it and that can happen over time we build the muscle that lets us do that where it's hardest is where something it's it's a major thing but it's not fixable um, whatever it is I, I, there's nothing i i can i can do to correct that particular thing and, and when we think about the way Part Two is set up, I, I think about it like a pyramid, right? So we're, we're, we're or Part One, um, you know, we're building on our thoughts, and we're focused on our thoughts and conditioning our mind for success. We're think, looking at our emotions and how to respond to it. When we when we focus on that, we get to the the higher level of things that are harder. And certainly, one of the things that's hard is dealing with a major regret that we can't change. And what we when we built kind of that emotional. Uh, and mental strength, then we're able to handle those issues more effectively and to move on. But until we do, those things can just really um, uh, undermine us and and cause us stress and anxiety.
0: Why do you feel that public speaking is the key to helping us unlock our potential?
2: I think it's one key, and certainly it's a major key, uh, and, and it has been for me, and I think this is part of what Dale Carnegie observed when he originally started his programs in 1912. He started them as public speaking programs and he thought, I'm going to teach people how to how to speak effectively. What he found was that there are all kinds of other things that uh, come into play, the, the emotions of standing up, um, the, the fears, the concerns about how other people see us. And, and that led him also to think about human relations. How do we interact with other people, and how do we become more effective, and so forth. So, um, since public speaking is something that so many people are concerned about, um, when they can become better at it and they can confront their fears about it, it, it gives them more confidence, and that confidence enables them to look at their entire lives. I, you know, I, I've seen, you know, Lauren Gien. When I took a Dale Carnegie class for the first time, this is a long time ago, I was a young lawyer. And I remember they got us up right away giving these little uh, little talks. It might be a two-minute talk. And there was a young woman in our class who, in the beginning, could barely get up and say her name. Um, she was terrified. Um, but by the end of the program, she was up. She was more confident. She was using her hands. She was looking at people. I mean, she was like a different person. And, and that confidence wasn't just limited then to standing up in front of a room. It's then this kind of epiphany. It's like, oh, my gosh, I never thought I could do this. And now I've discovered that I can. I wonder what else I can do. I wonder, you know, and so it then extends to other things. So it can definitely be a catalyst to help people grow and then achieve the kinds of things that they, they want to in their lives.
1: It actually seems like that's a good technique for overcoming imposter syndrome. And I'm wondering if you could also tell us a little bit <laughs> yeah. about how to to do that, because I think everybody, everybody I know, I think even, even, you know, mom at your age, I think you, you still probably have some, right? Sure, sure. I think, that, yeah, yeah, I think everybody does.
2: It's so common. And until recently, I think a lot of people were you know, just embarrassed even to admit that they've had it. Certainly I've had it before. And, and especially when I was younger, you know, you, you start to think that you, you don't know much and people are going to, you know, find out that I don't know this and so forth. And, you know, the, the only way that I'm aware to ultimately overcome imposter syndrome um, is is ultimately to kind of build our self-confidence. And that, that starts with um, our self. We talk about this in our chapter on self-confidence, self-efficacy, and self-worth. So self-efficacy is the belief that I can do something. And then self-worth is my belief in myself, my belief that I have value and that I'm good. And, you know, when, when we, this goes back even to the question you asked just a couple minutes ago, just about public speaking. I mean, that's one way that we can start to gain confidence. And then that helps us, you know, ultimately with the, the imposter syndrome and other kinds of things. Um, but in another just since we're talking about the imposter syndrome another thing we we strongly we talk about in the book is the importance of not comparing ourselves to others and that's always something that is it's a comparison trap it's undermining but um the imposter syndrome is something that we can all overcome and it, it starts with uh are really looking at the good that we have the inherent greatness that we have the strengths that we have the value that we have and then you know pretty soon uh, and, and creating the right mindset. And pretty soon that can go away for, our, for all of us.
0: What's the first thing you would advise someone to do if they are doubting themselves, if they feel like the pandemic has has hurt them, maybe it cost them a business, a job, whatever, and they're feeling really down about themselves. What's the first thing you would tell them to do?
2: I would tell them to look at things in perspective. Um, and look back to look forward. Um, so every single one of us, and this is something that Dale Carnegie believed, every single person has inherent greatness. Every single person has done great things, something great in their lives, something that is is, is worthy of praise. And we need to recognize that first in ourselves. A lot of times we are our own worst enemy. We say things to ourselves. We, we, we talk to ourselves like, like like we would never talk to anybody else. You know, so look look back and recognize and acknowledge the things that you've done, whatever it is, big small, whatever it is. But but start to have those conversations with yourself about, gosh, you know what I did do this and I did do this and I did do this. And if you're unsure, you might also go to someone you trust, uh, a person who uh, knows you, and is going to give you that affirmation. Just to ask them, you know, what, what are some, I'm just curious, what are some some qualities you see in me and why? You know, I'm just trying to get better, and, and I'm just trying to also think about what are some of my strengths. But, you know, people have to start by, by understanding and seeing the greatness they have. And by the way, this is the power of a Dale Carnegie course, and I hope this is the power of Take Command. Part of what we want to do is to help people start to see, you know, often they don't see the greatness that they have inside you know they they see i tried this and it didn't work or someone said this about me or i feel down about this but it's like take a time out here it's like you know what what are all the great things that you have to share with the world what are your gifts and and how do you start to bring those out more
1: as you know our show is called nobody told me so at the end of each show we ask our guests what is your nobody told me lesson so what is it that nobody, and not even Dale Carnegie, told you about leadership that you had to learn on your own and you'd like to share with our audience?
2: Wow, that's a tough question. I've got to think about that. You know, I guess what I'd say is that um, it's no one told me about um, the power that perspective would have for me. And what I mean is this. When I was younger, and I'm 54 now, uh, and I I sometimes wonder how I got here. It's just been so fast. But um, I I remember early in my career, in my 20s, in my 30s, just thinking to myself, gosh, I really don't know that much, or I worry about what other people would think about me. And as I've gotten older, um, I've realized that, that some of those things that I used to think about or worry about just really don't matter. I, I used to think if I went to a party and you know, depending on what I was wearing or how I looked, that the people were looking at me and thinking about you know uh, me. But they but they weren't. They were thinking looking <laughs> at themselves and thinking about themselves. It's like no one cares, you know. So uh, no one really cares. But I think it's taken me, you know, really uh, just maturity and getting older just just to understand that the things that I thought were important you know, really, really weren't. I've had just to discover that over time.
0: And Joe, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet and find out more about your work?
2: So we have, uh, first of all, as a company, dalecarnegie.com. Uh, also, the uh, the book, if people are interested in the the Take Command book, it's available on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble and a whole range of other sites. So they can uh, go to Amazon.com for that. Uh, I think we have TakeCommandBook.io. We'll take you right to the link. Uh, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, both of those are Joseph K. Hart. And... Um, yeah, I'm constantly trying to publish content and get the content out there and sharing ideas. So would love to have people uh, follow me.
0: Well, Joey, thank you for sharing your ideas with us. This has been a lot of fun and uh, and inspiring as well.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you. Really enjoy the, the questions and uh, just the co- caliber of the conversation has been fabulous.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we really appreciate uh, your efforts. Our thanks again to Joe Hart, co-author with Michael Crom of Take Command, Find Your Inner Strength, build enduring relationships and live the life you want. And again, dalecarnegie.com is the website to check out if you'd like to learn more about the Dale Carnegie course and books. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.